Hello and welcome to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. Performance marketing is all about attention. It's the currency that is traded between consumers and advertisers, whether it's seconds on a screen or clicks on a link. So if you're not an attention seeker, you're not doing it right. I'm Lucy Shelley, junior reporter at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. Today, I am joined by client success expert, Charlie Rogers, the Senior Vice President of the EMEA Client Success and Strategy at Yext, a tech company focusing on search and online brand management. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for being this week's Attention Seeker. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks, Lucy. I'm really delighted to be here. It's uh, it's only the second podcast I've done, so hopefully uh, it's going to go well. Not too many edits required, but let's see. Yes, well, no, that, that will be passed on to our producers. That doesn't fall into my hands, but uh, let's hope we make it second and your, your best podcast so far. Excellent. Well, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners, telling a bit about yourself and what you do at Yext? Thank you. Um, thanks for sharing my ridiculous title. The <laughs> perils of working for an American software company. Um, <laughs> what that really means is that I run our client services teams, our CSM team um, across EMEA with hubs in uh, mainly London, Paris, Milan, and in Berlin and Munich. And um, my teams really are responsible for making sure that the customers that we have, that we're fortunate to work with, see the value of the investment they've made in Yext. Um, you'll find them on the road, you'll find them with their customers, you'll find them working very closely together, I hope, um, so that we can continue to learn and grow as well, um, all for the benefit of those customers. Oh, fantastic. I mean, you were saying earlier before we started recording that you're going to Munich. so. Do you travel far and wide to see all your clients? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, there's been a bit of a hiatus given the recent uh, macroeconomic um, environment that we've all found ourselves in. Um, but yeah, typically you'll find me on the roads. I love to get out there, be with our customers, be with my team. Uh, so yeah, you can find me in any one of those hubs that I mentioned across Europe and often um, over in the US as well, which I really love doing. Mm, sounds fun. Sounds, sounds like a, glo- a globe-shotting job for sure. Probably sounds a bit more glamorous and exciting <laughs> than it really is. But yes, it's a great perk of the job. Well, let's get to know this week's attention seeker a little bit more. Let's delve into what you do to seek some attention. But before we get there, can you tell me something about what's getting your attention recently? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few things out there at the moment. I, I think the one thing the pandemic's really taught me and, and, and got me gripped by, I think, is this concept of how humans respond to change and change which is forced upon them. Um, I, obviously, today we're going to be talking about a whole raft of things, but one of the things I'm really passionate about is great leadership and also um, customer centricity in that leadership. And the thing that jumped out at me recently was um, Sheryl Sandberg actually stepping down from Facebook. Um, It wasn't the fact that she's stepping down. I think she's more than earned a bit of a rest and um, a bit of a change in what she's doing. But it's the way she does it. Um, Her communication, she shared the email she'd sent to the the company um, on all of the social platforms. And I really enjoyed reading it because what struck me there was that balance of transparency, but also real kind of genuine authenticity, which I think has been a hallmark of her leadership in, in you know, big companies like Facebook and Google. Um, I just always appreciate the human element that she brings to it. Um, and that's something that I try to do as well. So I wish her all the very best. But um, I think there's a lesson in leadership that can be taken from that piece of news for sure. Mm, I think that's um, 
a really lovely thing to bring, actually, a kind of, you know, a kind of a good response to change, because, I mean, there's been so much change going on and no one really likes too much change. It's something that we all try and kind of hide away from. Um, but yeah, it, having is a strength, isn't it? Being able to kind of respond appropriately. Can you recall any time where you've had to respond to a massive amount of change at Yext or previously? Yeah, I mean, I think change is something that is inevitable in technology anyway, right? So my whole career has been in, in tech, primarily marketing technology. Um, pace is, um, it can be hair-raising um, at times. And then suddenly you find yourself in a pandemic and you said, yes, humans don't necessarily like change. I'm one of those weird people that really loves it. Um, so I enjoy the unexpected. I enjoy being able to think differently about navigating through something unexpected. And I really enjoy helping my teams and, and our customers to do the same. So for me, the pandemic was an exceptional time of learning. Um, yes, I, it was It was not great. I'm a very big extrovert. So lockdown, homeschooling of my two sons um, whilst doing a very busy full-time job was... Um, so it was a challenge for me personally, um, and I certainly um, hadn't really signed up, although I'm married and I have two kids, I hadn't signed up to spend 24-7 with, with those people um, for such a prolonged period of time. I think the thing that kept my grey matter ticking over was, you know, how will we respond as a business, um, as humans working with other humans? Because let's not forget that even though we're a tech company, it's the human interaction and engagement that really brings that flavour, um, that that uniqueness to any relationship between a customer and a vendor. And I guess I guess what you're saying there is also that um I I can I like change as well a bit. Not not too much. Okay. How much is not too much? I was always taught, and this might sound a bit cliche, I've done a lot of theatre in the past, but when you're limited in what your your options are, it forces you to be creative. So it forces you to um try different avenues so i guess that's kind of you know the same as well when you're kind of restricted by your possibilities you look elsewhere for your solutions and who knows what can happen well exactly and i love that reference to theater that's um certainly something i used to do back in the day especially when i was a student um but yeah i think if you can embrace change or at least get comfortable with the fact that change is inevitable because it is and that change brings opportunity I think my job as a leader is to try and create some framework of comfort around that change. So people have the the freedom then to think differently and be creative. And from a customer experience perspective, for my teams, you know, we want to be creative, yes, with each other, but actually more importantly, we want to help our customers to see that we are thinking for them. We are thinking ahead for them and we want to help them to innovate, even in, you know, it's, well, actually, especially in moments where they're not entirely sure what that next step or turn should be. So, yeah, you're right. Change brings a lot of freedom to be creative. I think if you can create the right space and environments do that, where it's safe actually to try things and, and experiment a bit. And how, slightly probing question, but how important is creativity for a tech company? I think it's huge. I talk about three key behaviours that I look for in people that work in my teams. Um, foundational ones being accountability. We have to be responsible for the work that we sign up to do. Um, and a big part of what a CSM, a client success manager does, is to be the voice of the customer within the business. So if we're accountable and we're helping our business to understand where the customer is today and where they wish to go, then that helps all of us move forward together. The second thing is about being collaborative. So you cannot be 
on the front line with customers unless you can work well with others. Actually, really importantly, internally too, because you're kind of like the conductor of a brilliant orchestra. That orchestra can sound beautiful or it can sound a little bit jarring if you're not bringing the right people to the table at the right time and having that intuition. But if we are accountable and if we are collaborative, actually that creates some kind of space because you become more proactive to then become that creative innovator. And that's the bit that brings the magic in a tech company. Tech is never going to be the silver bullet all on, all on its own. I, you know, it's all over everything I've ever spoken about. I think it's tech plus people, which creates the magical outcomes that really everybody's seeking. And I say magical because I'm a tech nerd and I love marketing and <laughs> all of that stuff. I think other people's magic might be different. But for me, there really isn't anything better than a customer who will say, we can't do without your technology. And we see your team as part of our business because they have really inserted themselves into our teams. And now they're bringing a different voice and a different perspective. That to me is where the magic happens. I mean, absolutely. I mean, everything you've mentioned just there, again, harks me back to theatre. It's the collaboration. It's working in a team and it's finding a, you know, a solution that works for all and people that you want to continue working with as well, which I think is the main point. But we want to know really how much you would seek attention. How much of an attention seeker you are. So can you tell me about a time when you have done something completely ludicrous for attention? Yeah, I am. Um, as I said, I'm a, a, an extrovert. We do this thing called Myers-Briggs at Yext. Every new starter um, will take the, the Myers-Briggs profile questionnaire and we all talk about that quite openly in the business. Uh, when I got my results back, um, my extrovert score was the furthest to the end of that scale, <laughs> actually in the business, I think at the time, um, which I think is a good thing if you can manage it and harness it. Um, and sometimes, of course, it can be overdone. Uh, but that's not something that's just developed in my time at Yext, right? I, um, as, a, as a child, I loved being the centre of attention. And that got, um, really, I got a chance to put that to the test at university, where when we spoke about theatre earlier. I'd never done any kind of theatre prior to university. I do like to sing. I was a singer in a band. Um, nothing special. You'll not find anything on YouTube. Can we, can we hear a bit now? No, you may not. <laughs> um, and you'll not find anything on YouTube because I'm old enough to have missed that wave, which is good. Um, but I put myself, I, friends of mine suggested that I sign up and, and, and give um, theatre a go. So I did. And the one I signed up for was a musical. Um, and whilst I love to sing and I'm quite comfortable with drama and all of that stuff, um, I hadn't banked on doing the choreographed dance. Um, now, I'm the greatest dancer in the world at certain points in the evening after a few beverages, let's say. Um, I had no idea how excruciatingly awkward as, as, you know, my inner Brit came out and I just suddenly, having always wanted to be the centre of attention, was horrified <laughs> that I might have to move in the same direction Where's as other people. Where's that tree I can hide behind? Yeah, no, I was right at the front because I had the lead role. And I had to suddenly do this stuff I'd never done. So yes, at that moment, um, as we were doing all of our rehearsals, I thought this is indeed a ludicrous way to get attention. Got through it. Apparently it went okay. Um, I will say it was a relatively short-lived career in musical theatre that I had um, because I just couldn't put myself through that too much. It was the choreographed dance. It's the same reason I don't do aerobics because I just don't move in the same direction as everyone else. Um, <laughs> but yes, there you go. So that was something that I, I did to make myself deliberately uncomfortable. Oh gosh, yeah, you almost, you went too far there. You I crossed, you crossed I your own line. I overstepped. <laughs> yes, we can say that. But I loved every second of it in the end. So it was good. It is a lot of fun, but I guess it's that, especially with dance and you all have to move in the same direction at the same time, you're 
instantly comparable to the person next to you. So you you're a couple of seconds behind. I had to I had to concentrate harder than I've ever concentrated in my life. And I managed it. I did get it done in the end, but God, I lost sleep over it completely. So I was like, I'm 21. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and remember it again? I I do. And I, I, yeah. And it's quickly followed with, thank God I never have to do that again. So nobody (laughs) sign me up for anything like that, please. But I'm sure you learned a lot from the experience. I did. And can you also tell us about what cookies can tell about you that you'd probably rather they didn't know? See, I'm fairly transparent. I don't really believe in kind of professional Charlie versus personal Charlie. Obviously, in a professional way, I will make sure that I'm not oversharing most of the time. Um, My cookies would probably give away two healthy slash unhealthy obsessions. One is um, trainers. Uh, So I am, I'd say it's probably becoming more of a problem as I get older um, in that I just, I love them. And my husband constantly will see boxes arriving at the door and he's like, how many feet do you have? (laughs) And is this a necessary purchase? And I'm like, look, it's all for the good of my mental health. This is excellent purchasing from my perspective. So, yeah, there's a ton of stuff that would in my cookies that would show that I spend an unhealthy amount of time on the Nike website, on the sneakers website and on all kinds of other um, niche websites trying to find the latest and greatest. And my son has inherited this, unfortunately. Oh, gosh. Um, And it's not so great because I'm the one buying the trainers for him. So I'm having to limit it (laughs) quite. Quite, You've um, got two seriously. obsessions you're having to shell out. Yeah, for and the other one probably is um, houses. So um, we've bought and done up a couple of houses during our time together, my husband and I. Um, and my husband very much will, will, will say, you know, we're in our forever home right now. I don't think he realises how much I spend on right move, how much time I spend on right move. And I think I've got this itch, right? And I'm disclosing this on a podcast, so he's going to hear it. Um, I've just got a small itch that might need to be scratched, which might mean there's another move in us oh, and another house project somewhere. <laughs> so that's probably not one that most people care about, but he will be um, alarmed, maybe intrigued over time um, about that little uh, secret. Oh, gosh. Well, if you're listening, I, 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 hope, I hope you'll be OK with the news. <laughs> Start packing boxes, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> The main chunk of this podcast is about ratings. Performance marketing is all about ratings. So we'd like you to talk about one thing that you think is overrated and one that's underrated in the industry. So why don't you choose which one you'd like to start with? It's completely up to you. I'll go for the overrated and I'll say it's not in and of itself overrated, but I think it masks the true heart of the matter. So I think digital transformation is this kind of big banner strap line that is banded around and you know if you talk to any c-level executive within a within within a company whether they're b2b or b2c then at some point we'll talk about digital transformation and i think absolutely right that people should be preoccupied with this one thing the pandemic's taught us is that again change brings opportunity slash imperatives and i think the pandemic really was an accelerant um, and a mandated accelerant i think or a catalyst for businesses reassessing what was their path to digital transformation as a big um, headline. And really, actually, interestingly for me, what were the pieces within that? And this is where I think the overrated banner headline hides some of the most important things, which is prioritising what matters most for your business in any one time. So it is it will never go away, I don't think, because look, we live in a world where technology is increasingly at the fore. Um, So digital transformation, I would love to hear people talk less about that 
in isolation and start, you know, I think we'll know when the boards, the C-level um, exec suites of big businesses today are really embracing technology when they actually start to talk about the components underneath with a freedom and a, um, a confidence to know that these are the two or three areas within that massive bucket called digital transformation that are going to be the change that matters most for their business and most importantly for their end customer. So I'd like to hear people, um, I'd like to see people's confidence grow in delving a bit deeper there. I think that will probably require some level of change and probably reconfiguration of the C-level um, suites and also that layer beneath them. So capabilities will shift and change and morph um, as this need to become more specialist and focused um, continues. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my overrated one, slightly different. Um, and then underrated, I think, um, this is, I alluded to it earlier, pet project, passion project of mine. Um, it's that combination of a focus on leadership and customer experience. Um, I don't think you can separate the two. I think if we want to be great leaders um, and we want to drive the change and work towards the vision of a company that we work with or pe or that we work in, then we, we cannot afford to ignore the need to be customer centric. Um, in the end, I'm going to make a bet here. I think every co company exists today because of the customers or the people they serve. Again, whether B2B or B2C. Um, because of the rate of change that we've spoken about, because customer experience and expectations of an even of consumers has grown through the pandemic. Um, there was a super office study um, recently. It said that 67% um, of the people surveyed of those consumers surveyed. So their standards of customer experience, their expectations of that have never been higher. And that's post pandemic. Because everybody had to change the way they were buying. Companies had to change the way that they were speaking with and listening to their customers. And that, of course, informed how the business needed to change. And it was a bit like doing open heart surgery on a marathon runner while they were running the race. Um, nobody knew where that race would end. Most companies emerging from a pandemic don't still know what the final implications of that pandemic are for their business. And so a lot of it was done, I think, on intuition at the time. But increasingly now we're getting a ton of data that we can reflect on and we can also drive more certain decision making. So I think that need to be customer centric is about meeting consumers where they are and where they are has changed. Whether they were offline before and they're online now because they had to be, um, whether they are um, more demanding of multi-channel customer experience because, again, businesses had to provide that in the pandemic, whether they are thinking differently about the brands they care about because the way those brands responded in a time of global crisis really impressed upon them how they felt and engaged with that brand. The fact is, we all have to do things differently. It goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, change. We either embrace it and ride the wave or we kind of hide a little bit from it and we miss the wave. Um, and I think this is a really critical time for that. So that underrated thing for me about bringing the customer to the heart of the business you will hear lots of businesses talk about it. I do. I meet customers every day. Um, you know, I was chatting to a CMO a couple of months ago. They were saying, I'm building a CX function in my, in my leadership team. I was like, tell me about what that means. He said, well, I, I, I've got someone who is going to be focused on looking at the data to do with our customers, and then we'll spin up different operations. Um, and that will help us to know and understand our customers better so we can do things differently. 
I said, what are you, what capabilities are you thinking about in that CX function? You'll have a leader, sure. Have you got data analysts and insights people that you're going to bring in? Have you got people with proven experience of excellent customer experience focus? This is one of those big shifts in a business. You can't suddenly say the customer is king or queen unless right from the top down, you can show your business internally first. This is about the leadership piece. This is actually not just a, a kind of mentioned topic. This is core to the way we exist. Um, and you can help people right on those front lines know what does being a customer obsessed mean for them? How can they be successful when they're working with their customers? What does that mean for their career? Right? You want to get people excited about working in an organization, an environment which is customer centric. That is truly, I think, when customers start to say, I want to work with you, not just because of your product or your tech or your offering. It's because of the way you think about our experience. As an extrovert, was the pandemic then something that kind of excited you in a way because it brought about this new opportunity for people to um, access their customers in a different way? Was I mean, it must have been a daunting challenge to begin with, but once the opportunities presented themselves, was that quite an enlightening, exciting experience? Yeah, there was a couple. I mean, obviously, as an extrovert, personally, it was a real challenge because I get most of my energy from being with people like this, like being in the office and bouncing around and being quite disruptive and noisy on the office floor, um, meeting with our customers and, and, you know, new people all the time. That's what really fuels me. So that was interesting because I wasn't getting that kind of natural, I guess, food for my soul from a professional perspective. Um However, from a work perspective, it was super interesting. And one of the things um, I said I learned a lot in the pandemic, one of the things that I wanted to really think about on reflection with my team was how we would go to our customer during this time. And we said, I got together with my leadership team and with our EMEA leadership team as well. And I said, we're going to, the first thing we're going to do without exception is we will be human first in the way we engage with our customers. And that's going to be harder than usual because we're going to have to do it all remotely. But that starts with the small things. So when you have your regular call with customers, ask them how they are, what's going on in their world, what are they worried about, how can we help them, what do they need that's different. Let's not underestimate that just as we're feeling personally challenged in this environment, every human you speak to, yes, they work for a brand, but actually they're a human first. They've probably got some homeschool activity going on. They're probably going out of their minds because they can't, you know, go out and socialise with their friends or they're getting sick of, of Zoom and, and, and the fatigue that comes with that. So let's be human first and let's, let's not forget that this is an amazing opportunity to get to know those humans. I think the second thing we did um, was thinking about, okay, so let's not assume that it's just a bi-directional relationship. Yext plus customer. Let's take a, a bit of a leap and imagine that actually these customers, we've got segments of customers in similar industries, similar markets, similar job roles. They probably want to learn from each other at this moment. And we'll make a bet that actually they're more inclined to share with each other than they would be in a normal business as usual world. So what we did was we created very informally, actually, um, small communities, opportunities to bring people together. We called them collab labs. Um, and we brought people, you know, from the grocery sector together, from the um, gosh, yes, pubs, restaurants sector together because, gosh, they were going through some brutal times. Finance communities trying to figure out why on earth every single one of their customers suddenly needed an app and was online. Um, and, and yes, they'd been doing those things, but boy, they were learning really quickly. 
so we got those people together and we saw some of the most organic and productive conversations. And some of those conversations continue to this day. So people forged personal connections. Then the final thing we did, of course, which I think everybody did, was create more social um, environments online, of course. Um, so I have lost count of the amount of gin tastings, wine tastings, cheese tastings, all kinds of tastings that I did from the comfort of my desk in my bedroom. Um, but, you know, again, not underestimating the importance for giving people the time just to let off some steam. You know, maybe there's some content in there at the beginning, of course, but actually it was that person, people stayed on for an extra hour, maybe at the end, just chatting because they just wanted to talk to someone else um, outside of their four walls, but not about maybe the work that they're doing every day. So those are some of the things we did that were different that I think have paid a lot of, uh, well, reaped a lot of rewards, um, you know, kind of 12, 18 months later, because customers have said, we, we haven't forgotten the way that EX worked with us during this time and you stood out amongst some of the other vendors that we work with. So, And, and what do you think are some of the kind of biggest challenges for, you know, brands or companies trying to achieve this? Because, I mean, when you talk about it now, you make it sound so simple, so easy. And I mean... It sounds, you know, you've just given a checklist to our listeners about how to succeed with your customer success. But, I mean, is it easily done? Because I think there's a lot of brands out there that do, I'm customer first, but are they really? It's not easy. So it starts with communication. It starts with setting really strong frameworks for that communication to flow, empowering leaders at every level in a business to share that, vo that mission to their teams. Be informed ahead of time if something's going to change or if something new is going to come that's going to really benefit or challenge their team. So communication being key there, but also bringing your customer to the table to hear them. And I don't just mean, you know, doing a survey here, there, and we do our NPS surveys and our CSAT surveys and all of that good stuff. But I mean, taking those insights that you get from the conversations you're having at that moment, it was on Zoom, but of course now increasingly back in person and being able to surface those within the business and putting them into the places, the projects that matter most so that actually the customer's part of driving our change of our business. Performance marketing is very, it's very, it's got a lot of uh, niches within it. It's very specific. As you were saying earlier, you can't just brand something, a digital transformation. So I would like to teach me an element to demystify something in the industry uh, and teach me, someone that is new to it, something new. Ah, uh, right. So let's talk about the kind of foundational value proposition of Yext. Um, we've, we've existed for a long time now, since 2006, and we started in a one-room office in New York, and now we've got multiple offices around the world. Um, and we're a 1,400 people company now, um, which is fantastic. And that growth has meant we get to work with all these customers. What we're doing for those customers, really, we're a search company, right? And again, search is one of those things you can say search. Um, I'm, I'm a, used to be a paid search expert. That was my career before I got into the search that we're doing here at Yext. Um, there's a multitude of different things under search. And one of the things, again, we'll keep on the pandemic theme that became really evident to us was that our core value proposition had never been more important. That was to, you know, in a, in a prior world, pre-pandemic, we'd existed to help end customers and consumers of a brand to locate and visit uh, their bricks and mortar locations, right? That was one of our founding principles. So through Google, through listings on GMB, um, helping those people searching for, I don't know, 
Pizza Express near me. I'm a parent. We go to Pizza Express all the time. Sorry for everyone that doesn't. Um, we helped to uh, we help big brands to put those locations on the map, as it were. Um, imagine they've got hundreds or thousands of different locations. It can be very difficult online to manage each one of those locations. What time are they open? Where are you located? Do you have um, wheelchair access? Are you um, do you do takeout? Are you able? You know, do you have special menu items? For, um, you know, what are your vegetarian menu items? Are you able to provide gluten free pizza? Um, in our case, all of those things are attributes, right? That matter. The more rich content you have, uh, the more relevant you're deemed by Google. Obviously, if you're close by, that Google also loves that as well. If I'm doing a search, I want somewhere close by. We wanted to help. Um, when we were first um, doing this for our customers, it was about accuracy. It was about consistency across the web. So making sure that um, people, Google, first of all, was also seeing that consistent data. So your ranking and rating might improve. Um, so that was great. And that was our core proposition. Still is one of our core value propositions as a search company, which is about putting the right answers about brands in front of the right people at the right time. Of course, in a pandemic, guess what? Most of those physical locations were closed down. So we had to shift that proposition. Um, and that's the teaching thing, right? It's about taking what you've always done and always said about your product and your platform and pivoting to be able to say, actually, the same holds true. What we're helping you to do now is pivot overnight, literally, in some cases, and often several times during a pandemic where Restaurants were open, then they were closed, then they were allowed to do X amount of people outside only, then it was allowed inside and there were rules there. How do brands, again, who are time poor, even more than ever, update all of this information so that, that Google, which is, you know, primarily the place where people go to search these days, and Facebook and Bing, were giving people the answers they want. The last thing you want, you know, as a consumer is to search for, you know, is this restaurant near me open now or where's a great pub that I can meet my friends? or get take out beer in this case, get there and find out it's closed. That's a terrible customer experience. And yes, you could say, well, that's a Google thing. But as a consumer, I'm like, no, you should manage the facts about, about your brand, even if it is a pandemic. In fact, especially because it's a pandemic, my expectations of you have grown. I want to know, can I get my Pizza Express to go? Will it be ready in X amount of time? These are things that really mattered and they were different. So that I guess the teaching piece there is we all have in tech, we all have our value propositions. We have our platforms. Um, they have, we have to, just as humans, we need to pivot. We have to be able to reform and learn from the environment we're in to show different value. And that was the piece that for me was really powerful around our technology. Um, such an accelerant for that. Um, and the work is never done in tech. So especially in search, uh, especially when it's, related to organic search seo you know paid it's a bit like turning on a tap and turning it off and there's a lot more to it than that i won't bore you with what i think about all of that but in seo is a, there's a bit of art in there but increasingly you can't just rely on art right it is science it is data it is doing things at scale and the brands who can do that at scale fastest win i was gonna ask when it comes to search can you be surprised by search in terms because obviously you know you are um adhering to other google's algorithms other people's algorithms to make yourselves at the top and can you sometimes um have surprising results where someone that you'd work with isn't at the top or 
for the opposite reasons for, as well. I think it is possible to be surprised in search, uh, especially in SEO, you know, an algorithm changes. Rules change. Um, a brand might start doing something different that's innovating ahead of the curve and suddenly everyone else is like, hang on, what did they do that was so different than us? Right Now, where we play as EX, we're not talking about all of those organic listings. Um, we're talking about the location-based listings, the map pack when you do a search on Google Maps, very specific part of Google search. And increasingly, they're also thinking about, you know, we, we talk about being a search company. It's not, not just about what happens on Google. It's also about what happens when you get someone to your website. I think for us, one of the, the, re, the things that really surprises our customers is, okay, so you're driving loads of traffic to our, to our stores, to our restaurants, also to our website. Okay, why are they not staying on our website? And that's when we start to have really great conversations about, well, do you provide the same Google-like search experience on your website that I as a consumer, first and foremost, have become conditioned to expect? Of course, we all know 99% of the time, search experience on brands' websites are not brilliant. They certainly don't mimic Google, which even more than ever is able to anticipate what we're looking for and give us a very specific answer, you know, like a zero-click type of search. So I think, yes, of course, SEO, that, that's a shifting and moving dynamic landscape. One of the reasons I think Yext has, has been so successful is because we're able to give time back to SEO teams and brands to start thinking a bit bigger about their SEO strategy and how that dovetails into paid, what data that they get from what they're doing with Yext can then help them to maybe change their whole business strategy, the way they deal with customers, what apps they develop next. That's, again, we're swimming in data, but it's about the insight and about looking for those anomalies, I think, would, I would caution. What we found actually, again, in the pandemic was, you know, we were controlling a lot of our, helping our customers to control the customer experience they were delivering via Google um, in, in, in those kind of location-based listings. The next thing they're turning to their attention to with our help is thinking about, okay, how do we replicate that experience on our website? How do we help, you know, a, a, how do we help a consumer when they continue to seek answers, because that's what we think about it as, um, about our brand, which we should be the expert on? How do we retain them on their website instead of bouncing them back to Google where our competitors are? It's a great example of this. We worked, it's a case study that we released um, Three Mobile is a company we work with, um, and one of the we started to work with them using our on-site um, search product called Answers. One of the things they were using us to to solve was to uh, provide structured answers to FAQs type things on the website. So one of the the re the catalyst for us working with them on this was um, someone did a search on their website, and it's it was um, when will five G come to my area. And the result that came back on their website search was, how do I cancel my three contract? Uh, which is not quite the customer experience they were hoping to deliver. No, I was going to say, they've missed quite, where's that part? Especially going? not, because three are massively innovative when it comes to 5G. They were really ahead of the curve. So they started to work with us and put more of that unstructured data into the X platform, into our knowledge graph. And now they're able to deliver a much more Google-like search experience on the website, which has done a few things, right? It's really dramatically reduced um, traffic to their call center, where now consumers can self-serve because they can get better answers on the website. Um, and also it's enabled them to get such a huge amount of rich insight because they're capturing all of that search information. What are people looking for? Were we able to meet that need? 
If not, what content can we spin up? What might we do differently in our call center, for example? All of these things, it's again about that data, right? It's not, there's the technology itself, but then there's that amazing benefit of having the insight in the same platform that will drive um, wider decision-making. Absolutely. We have now come to your judgment day. I'm dreading it. The final section of this podcast, which is all about getting my attention, is the resell me a pen, which, as you and our listeners know, uh, you have to resell an old-fashioned, outdated item to today's audience with, ideally, a performance marketing strategy. And this is... Marks, you're going to get a grade at the end. <laughs> you better try your best. <laughs> um, and you have an hourglass. So when you're ready, let me, let me turn the hourglass over. Great. Lucy, what does an hourglass mean to you? What does it do? Records time. Okay, yeah, sure. It shows you how much time has elapsed. Um, have you ever considered the benefits to your mental health of an hourglass? I have not. Well, let me tell you, there's a secondary benefit. Yes, there's the functional time is elapsing. You can monitor how much time has elapsed and they're beautiful things. But actually you'll find if you do have a little bit of time yourself and you're in need of just being able to shut down, I don't know, whatever voices you might have in your head or the noise that goes on in the day to day. Um, I couldn't recommend more that you buy my hourglass, which actually when you sit and watch it becomes um, something of a mindfulness champion for you. Um, you will find that watching those grains of sand slipping through uh, the very small gap in the middle of the hourglass, somewhat mesmerising. Um, I would defy you to think about anything else when you're watching them. I guarantee you, and don't pick, you know, an hourglass that's maybe an hour or two hours. Uh, you might want like a three minute egg timer for a quick win here. Um, but I would definitely recommend, you know, take that three minutes, watch it fall and see how your mind is cleared at the end of it. Oh, thank you. That was a lovely meditation process you just took us through there do we have a performance marketing strategy there or are we just gonna first things first yes functional benefits second order effect is make sure you're looking for the secondary benefits um in the case of everything we've spoken about today um there is a practical application of every tech platform in our case it's all about search um the secondary thing to think about and i would argue the more important and valuable thing when it comes to changing and evolving an organization is looking for what else does it bring you. In our case, that's the data, that's the insight. I think it's incumbent on every business to have teams wrapped around that data and insight who can surface, yes, the trends, but also the anomalies um, and enable C-level uh, suites of people to think differently about where their business is going and what it might be, always with the customer at the centre of it. Fantastic, thank you. Okay, so you gave a very detailed strategy there. Um, you know, how, how, how you'd approach this. You have taken me on a lovely guided meditation there, talking about the sands dropping through the middle. Although I must admit, I don't think I've learned anything new from this hourglass. I don't think it's been resold. No, true. I'm really sorry, but I think I might give this one a six. Well, out of six, right? Six <laughs> out of five. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I really hope that hasn't dampened your day at Not all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, you start with a six. But I mean, we've got... Well, the only way is up from the here. The only way is up. Exactly. We don't want to start too high and then you've only got... Exactly. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very happy. Um, I would say... Uh, there's a reason I'm uh, not in sales. And in fact, I focus on the experiences that we provide. <laughs> well, you took me on an experience, didn't yes, you? I you did. got me involved. So <laughs> there you go. 
Well, thank you so much for being on this week's episode. It's been great hearing you talk about leadership, the value and importance of people and overlooking biases and everything. So thank you so much for being on our podcast. I hope we've satisfied your attention-seeking desires. I think so. It's excellent. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Lucy. Brilliant. Thanks very much. If you want to find out more about the news and trends from global brands, agencies and platforms in the performance marketing industry, register with us on our website at performancemarketingworld.com. And don't forget to look out on our socials, which are linked on the site and in this episode's description, to send in suggestions for next time's Resell Me A Pen Challenge. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you can join me next time. <laughs>